welcome to the Park Road Podcast for November 17th, 2019. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Amy Jacks Dean, co-pastor with Russ Dean at Park Road Baptist Church. Her sermon today is entitled, When Weariness Gets the Best of You. I grew up in the church, a conservative church, and I was there with my family pretty much every time the doors of the church were open. I listened carefully. I felt something that I was pretty sure most people were not feeling. It was often like a lump in my throat that sometimes would spill over as tears in my eyes. I didn't know what to call what I was feeling. Clearly, it was not a vocational call into ministry because women were not to be ministers. I just knew that during those revival nights when every head was bowed and every eye was closed, I would raise my hand upon request of the pastor that I needed prayer. And yes, I wanted to be saved again. And then again, and then again. And when the altar calls were issued, I would often make my way down to the front to the padded altar and kneel and pray. I was so scared I was going to end up in a thatched hut in Africa. That was not what I wanted, but I often felt like the options for what I was feeling were pretty limited. I just knew I was not cut out for thatched hut, snake, lizard, scorpion kind of life. And I vividly remember praying that if Jesus was coming back in my lifetime, which seemed likely, I prayed as a child that God would take me before the tribulation ensued. I knew I was not cut out for the plagues. Frogs and locusts were just not my jam. I'm describing something to you that is simultaneously very familiar and very foreign to me now. I remember it like it was yesterday, and yet I feel like surely I'm describing something to you that I've read in a novel. But it's true that my childhood and adolescence were filled with the anticipation of the second coming of Jesus. We did not know the hour or the day. That was not for us to know. But all of the signs pointed to something soon. And I vividly remember worrying about it happening before I would have a chance to get married and have children. I had this idealistic life set out in front of me. I was going to be an elementary school teacher until I would marry and then become a stay-home mom. Likely as the wife of a missionary. Please don't let it be a thatched hut in Africa. What else could that stirring lump in my throat and tears in my eyes mean other than that? I feel like I don't even know the person that I'm describing to you. Do y'all know her? (laughs) No. And yet she is so familiar to me. She was a goody-goody. She was shy. She was a rule follower that did not want to disappoint her parents and certainly did not want to disappoint God. 
She felt something in the spiritual realm that she could not understand because there were exactly zero role models for women in ministry or in leadership in the church. And she was fearful of God and frogs and locusts. And she was fearful of being left behind when the rapture came, even though she really could not think of one little tiny single thing that she had ever done to disqualify herself from inclusion in the kingdom of heaven. She was a goody-goody, and she was scared she would be left behind. She learned a few verses of scripture to help hold it all together as we lived in this meantime kind of time, awaiting that glorious second coming. So teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I feel so bad for her. (laughs) But I do vividly understand, in the way many of you probably don't, the mindset of the people in the church at Thessalonica. They were expecting the return of Jesus at any moment. My assumption is that many of you honestly have no idea what I'm talking about. Some of you are, yep, I've been there, done that with every head bowed and every eye closed. But some of you are saying I'm speaking a foreign language. You may have heard about some of this, but it's not been a part of your own faith journey. You have to know that is deep within my journey. And let me tell you, it's easy to become pretty obsessed about the when and the where and the how and especially the how soon of it all. That's where the people were that received this correspondence. The first letter to the Thessalonians is one of Paul's earliest correspondences. It's believed that the second letter was sent pretty soon after the first and may or not may not have been penned by Paul himself. Maybe someone else was writing in Paul's name. It's likely that the second letter went to the church before any response was made by the first letter. It was anxious times among an anxious people who did not have cell phones for quick communication. It was anxious times among an anxious anxious people who were just waiting on the return of Jesus. And in their waiting, they became idle. They had stopped working and they had stopped living. They were just waiting, doing nothing, biding their time, not being productive, not even doing the bare minimum of paying for their own food. The writer of this letter was reminding them of the importance of work and the importance of taking responsibility and the importance of fending for yourself and the importance of making a way for yourself and the importance of pulling your own weight. They were being reminded of the things we do while we wait with a final zinger about not growing weary in doing what is right. They had gotten so distracted by the imminent return of Christ 
that they forgot the basics. And the writer of this letter was warning the readers to keep away from this kind of idleness that had become rampant. The writer is reminding the recipients of the letter to follow the example that had been set for them to work hard and pay their own way. In this scenario, as the writer notes, anyone unwilling to work should not eat. Now, some current hearers of this text might like to point to this passage as a blanket condemnation of any kind of welfare program. Some current hearers of this passage may try and use this as a pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps kind of theology designed to abhor anyone asking for a handout. This passage may help some people to point the condemning finger of all the people holding signs on street corners begging for money and begging for food. And it may even cause some people to call those people lazy or leeches. I just don't think the settings are the same. And it's not fair to take that one sentence out of its context. If you're going to take a sentence out of context, please lean into not growing weary of doing what is right. If you've got to pick one phrase to hang on to and let it speak for all time, let it be that phrase. Do not grow weary of doing what is right. I think about all the people who work hard, so hard, multiple jobs, multiple shifts, cobbling together a living that is far from fair and far from living. They work way more hours than most of us do. They work manual jobs that wear their bodies out before their time. They don't have adequate insurance to pay to see the doctors they need to keep their bodies working so that they can keep working too much. There's no way to save anything as they are a paycheck to paycheck family. And there's no way to save anything because they are only a paycheck or two from abject poverty or at the very least a huge crisis. But it's not for a lack of work ethic. It's for a lack of fairness in the system that is designed to keep them down and out. Sure, there are a few that break through that vicious cycle, but it's just a precious few. They were born to the wrong people in the wrong places and haven't had one advantage of privilege ever come their way. And they are tired. They are sick and tired. They are weary of working so hard to never break even, much less get ahead. I feel weary for them. How do they do it? Well, someone needs to speak up for them. But we have a tendency to grow idle in doing what is right. We must be advocates for a system that is more equitable. This is a justice issue. Instead of pointing out all the people that take advantage of systems, why don't we become the people pointing out the unfairness of the systems? And why don't we become the people that will work to make a better way for those who work so hard? 
Why don't we become the most generous of all? Why don't we give more than is expected? Why don't we push harder for reforming systems that are out of balance? Let us not grow weary of doing what is right. I picked that one topic just about fair wage. You can imagine I could have picked any number of topics. Health care, education, mass incarceration, affordable housing. The list goes on and on and on. Let us not grow weary of doing what is right. Thoughts about the end times, the tribulation, the rapture, frogs and locusts, second comings. They're just not a part of my thinking anymore. These days, my thoughts are on the here and the now. I don't really know many people that I would call idle. Most folks are busier than busy. Most folks are overscheduled and overbooked and tired and beyond weary. I just can't help but wonder what we're so busy doing. Are we absorbed with all the things that seem so urgent and yet we never consider if those things are actually important? Are we so busy with self-care that we fail to notice the injustices all around us? Are we so busy building our own portfolios that we lack a sense of generosity that can truly change people's lives? Are we so intent that we don't offer the hand out that we miss the opportunity to offer the hand up? Brothers and sisters, do not be weary in doing what is right. Perhaps we could add to this text, do not be so busy. Do not be so distracted. Do not be so self-absorbed to keep you from doing what is right. While I don't live my life expecting the return of Jesus anytime soon, I do think the words to the church in Thessalonica are prudent for us today about work. There is so much to be done. The reign of Jesus isn't something we look forward to out there. It is a very present reality. And every single time we decide to act like Jesus, and every single time we decide to talk like Jesus, and every single time we decide to respond like Jesus, and every single time we decide to advocate like Jesus, every single time we decide to emulate the life of Jesus, then Jesus has come again. Every single time we decide to emulate the life of Jesus, Jesus has come back in me and in you. Without the frogs and the locusts, it's like a miracle. I didn't even have to move to a thatched hut in Africa. And as long as there is injustice in this world, and as long as there is hurting in this world, and as long as there is suffering in this world, as long as there is oppression in this world, then there is a need for Jesus to come again and again 
and again. And the only way he returns today is in your own life. So get busy, friends. Let us not be found idle. Let us work for the here and the now. And let us not be weary in doing what is right. May it be so. Amen. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.